You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is a full panel for the first time in God knows how long. We have freelance writer Julian Murdoch. Hello, hello. It's good to be back. Dr. Bruce Garrick. Hi. <laughs> and freelance writer Tom Chick. If I can get anyone a coffee, let me know. I'll run in there and whip it up for you. So this is a very special night. Why? Because we have all of We're us all together. Here. Oh, 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 I thought you were going to segue into something. You're, you're still on the... Okay. Well, it is sort of... I kind of wish we had a more interesting topic to take advantage of all of this... Uh, That's the best topic we've ever had. That's a great way, to, great way to sell it there, Trey. Well, too, unfortunately, we have a really lame topic <laughs> for this whole panel. No, actually it's, actually, it's something I think we should, be, we should have talked about earlier, and I thought we had. Then I realized, wait a minute, we haven't actually done this. And I wish we had Dragon a... Dragon re- out yet, so we couldn't talk about it. Well, we're not talking about Dragon Age. Well, it'll probably come up. Uh, but the topic we want to address today, or I want to address today, uh, sort of inspired by some of the controversy over Dragon Age, uh, and also some of the other stuff that has been uh, I've been seeing happening in the industry, and that is a question of expansion packs and downloadable content. What makes a good expansion pack? When is an expansion pack a deal? When is it a ripoff? And what are the business? Uh, what's the business thinking behind this? Generally, we're not big on business and industry talk. We'd rather talk about the games and the design. But uh, let's see what happens here. So expansion pack. Yeah, full silence. No. Well, uh, now that Troy has announced that it's a boring topic, I feel I, you know, I have strong opinions. But I oh, feel you, you know, you have notes. <laughs> you know, you've got a whole whack of notes. Uh, so let's start with you know this, the general issue. What makes an expansion pack an expansion pack, and not just a patch? Because I don't think you can answer that anymore. I mean, the thing is, well, these days, downloadable content is such a way to. Like the the lines are so blurred, and I don't think that con- in a way conventional expansion packs exist anymore. They're well, kind of they, doled they out stopped becoming they stopped becoming cheap a long time ago. I think that was a big issue. I mean, well, they are. I mean, they're be... only five bucks, Julian, for uh, for downloadable content. You know, well, fi- Just five well, bucks, right? What's five right, bucks to you? It's a cup of coffee. Right, the difference between, but so the, to me, we we we've got a definitional issue, and I know it's always so fun when we dig into definitions, right? Um, so, like, Beyond the Sword for Civ Four was essentially, in my mind, a complete rework of the game. It added so much finesse to it, so many new ideas, that, that I enjoyed playing Beyond the Sword more than I ever enjoyed playing Civ Four. And it, But it was also, I believe, nearly full price. I mean, it was like 30 or 40 bucks. It wasn't like 10 to get that if you already had Civ Four. By contrast, what... Um, what the Ironclad guys have done with Sins of the Solar Empire is more what I think of as real expansion packs, which is they release sort of $10, $15, $20 expansions of content um, that add a couple of new things to the game. You know, the, the first one had... What? They've only done one, haven't they? The second one is, like, imminent if it's not out already. Right, but they've only done one, and I thought it was huge. I thought it, it perfectly... It, it's very similar to what you're talking about with Beyond the Sword and that it reworked really? how the you game think so? plays. Because for me, oh, it was, yeah. to yeah. me, it included a bunch of balanced stuff that I would have expected in patches, right? And You don't think and that the mines like, and the space stations? I mean, no, we, don't, we don't need to argue new, about that. It added, but I just, two, you know. it added two new elements, which was mines and space stations, and I think another set of units. 
Two new elements, that... though, that dramatically revised how the game played by by making fixed emplacements more viable. I mean, you, they basically yeah, reworked absolutely. the paper, absolutely. rock, scissors balance of the game. But uh, but to me, that felt like an expansion. It didn't feel like a whole new game. To me, Beyond the Sword almost felt like a whole new game. Well, here I think this is how you can do it. If something adds stuff to a game that already was there historically and it just wasn't in the original game, then it's a patch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Sins of a Solar Empire is is never going to have a patch because of history. No, I mean, did it have that stuff? You should ask those guys at that company what, whether the stuff that they put in the game was real or imagined. Whether it's so historically accurate. Because I know you're all about historical accuracy. I agree, and so I think it's very clear. So there you go. I cleared that but it's up. It's a perfect example of how hard it is to sort of parse, you know, what's an expansion, what's downloadable content, and even sometimes, you know, what's a sequel. Uh, right. It's well, just the, the, the lines are blurred all over the place. Uh, but if, and I don't think if it's downloadable, then it's by definition downloadable content, if you can get it online. You could you then, by, those, by that justification, you could call entire games right. <laughs> downloadable Dragon content. Dragon Age is downloadable right. exactly. content. What's wrong with that? Diff- the game. What, what's, the, what's, the, what's the functional purpose? Well, here's Anyways. Here's what I would say, Bruce. I would say that the difference is if they're using it as part of their revenue model, above and beyond selling the core game. I mean, that's sort of what we're talking about. And in a way, do they even use additional content as part of their revenue model or to build up goodwill? And I'm thinking of the Last Stand edition to Dawn of War 2, for instance. Right. Uh, so these lines are just – there are no longer really any pat terms for – Add-ons or patches or downloadable content and even sequels—it's just—it's right. huge and messy and it sprawls. Well, to I me, there's—I think—I think in multiplayer games this is very different than single-player games. I mean, I, I know we're supposed to focus on on just strategy games, but but the the treatment that Dragon Age has gotten on DLC uh, it, it strikes me as really a great case in point because this is a game that shipped with DLC available. And where within the first hour or two of the game, you were actually prompted in story mode in the game to go pursue a quest line that you have to pay for. Right? So it's almost like this microtransaction in the middle of the single player campaign to go spend five bucks or whatever it is to get an extra two hour piece of content. Now in a single player game, I can see how that's not such a big deal because you're not going to end up with these compatibility issues. With something like Stardock, entrenchment for sense of a solar empire you're you're essentially creating a rift in the player community because people who have entrenchment are going to play games with people who have entrenchment and people who don't are going to play games with people who don't that to me is a big distinction between the two right and that was that was one of the problems that they were having with um uh i already forgotten um we're, we're talking about uh Civilization, okay. Counter Strike, no. <laughs> and that one other game where they had where people play against each other online. Pac Man, <laughs> <laughs> Halo. No, they didn't want to stratify their player community. So, uh, you know what? I would love to know. Yes, Dawn of War. War. It was Dawn ah, of War yeah. when they they didn't want to uh, they didn't want to give uh, they, that's, that was the that was the whole thing where they didn't have the um, speed bar. Remember? Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah, the whole discussion. Yeah, that's a, and that's that's an excuse to for not doing lots of things. Yeah, is we don't want to fragment the community. Exactly, but I mean, I, I'm not sure. I mean, what's 
it seems to me like the only point in having these definitions is if you actually do something useful with them. So what use are they? Well, I would say that what use they are is that we can fling the discussion open to all kinds of genres and all kinds of content. So there you go. I would say that this is a, this is an issue where you can't really narrow the discussion down without applying artificial distinctions. Uh, so there's Dragon Age on one hand. There's the uh, Beyond the Sword in, in Civ Four. There's the new heroes that I just downloaded for Marvel Ultimate Alliance. So now I can play as Carnage and Magneto. Uh, that all of that is part and parcel of the same issue. I would say. Right, but I mean, I guess the point is that what's the point of having the what's the what's the point of having distinctions and 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 definitions in general, not just the purpose of this, of this conversation, but in general, having them for people in the real world. Well, to what answer that, that question, I would refer you to various French deconstructionists. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> I know you're into that kind of thing. All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> but no, touché, I, I don't. sir. Touche. <laughs> but no, Bruce, you, you you have a point. I mean, what uh, here here's so what are like are any of you guys like? Would you say you're opposed to this sort of new model, this this brave new world of different ways to get money from you? Uh, are any of you like blank? And and I'm sort of loading the question because I yeah. kind of support it overall. Uh, is this something that any of you guys just take issue with overall? Well, not in principle. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's fine. I mean, whatever. I mean, if they want to sell a game in a certain way, then have fun. I found I found the way the Dragon Age did it to be disturbing because it was, and Penny Arcade did a great comic about this because you're literally sitting there and you finally like have your own encampment. And you're like, oh, gosh, I'm going to have my own vendor and my own encampment and everything. And look, there's a quest hanging over this guy's head. And he literally, the, 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 he prompts you to go buy something. And I found that to be really, uh, that to me was disturbing. I don't mind, like, the loading screen prompting me for it, uh, a doorway that I can't click through, something inanimate. But to actually have essentially an NPC in the game prompting me to go out of the game to go buy something to be that that to me was a, a violation of some sort of storytelling agreement no, that's, that i had that's with realism the he's a vendor that's what vendors do possible realism in any game stefan janecki uh I, which i thought was pretty perceptive he referred to the guy as like a beggar <laughs> but, but asking for real world money instead of your in-game money. exactly yeah, exactly perfect. i think that's great I, I I I totally I totally uh, support uh, more verisimilitude in the. Uh, in the <laughs> but you uh, see, like in like in Forza Three, if there was a, like a prompt for me to go buy another car for three dollars or something like that, that's not a game that's that's telling me a story, right? In Dragon Age, the whole point of a game like this is to get really immersed in it. And I'm trying to imagine, like, can you imagine being in the middle of an RTS and like clicking on like the the base that's going to build your armor units and having it say, you know, you click on a tank that you want to build and then a little thing pops up and says, access to this tank will cost you $3.45. That, I mean, I would, that, would, that would be great. I would actually really think that would be hilarious. 
I think you might get your wish with Command and Conquer Four. Oh, really? I'd be surprised if EA did something like that. Well, you know, Command and Conquer Four has this whole MMO model where you have to like crew a certain amount of experience to unlock new units for your faction. And EA, they love to give you opportunities to pay real-world money uh, instead of in-game money if you are so inclined. So that might me that starts dipping dipping into the well of something like. Like uh, like Dungeons and Dragons Online, but the difference there is that's actually free, right? I mean, like the actual core game, you don't pay anything for, and therefore having them, you know, charge me a dollar for a you know pile of potions or ten dollars to access a whole sort of realm of content, I have no problem for that because that's clearly the business model. But you know, Dragon Age is a sixty dollar game. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder what Jacques Derrida would think about that. But, um... <laughs> well, I do want to bring this back around to expansion packs in general. Uh, there are the, the the definitional issues are certainly important. I mean, I, I, was, I mentioned an email to Tom after I got the Dragon Age, you know, downloadable content, the Warden's Keep quest. Uh-huh. I, it reminded me of uh, Trials of the Lure Master, which is an expansion pack downloadable thing for Icewind Dale. And no one called it Icewind Dale, Icewind Dale 2, one of them. Pretty much the same idea. This You run up to this vendor, he gives you a quest, and then you run off and kill some bad guys, and you get some really good, sweet loot. Uh, no one called it downloadable content, uh, even though you had to download it, as I recall. You couldn't, though you could buy it later. Uh, in Icewind Dale Gold or something, as I recall, you had to download it at the time. Um, but the issue with uh, the Dragon Age one, I th- the one that Tom raised on his blog, was this gives you something that Bioware said they couldn't do, which is unlimited space. And that's, mm-hmm. yeah, when, when when these things affect, like, in a game that's supposed to be, Julian, you mentioned the single-player, multiplayer distinction, and part of that distinction is a single-player game should be self-contained. Yeah. You know, when you pay for it, you should get a fully functional, fully featured uh, product. Uh, well, to be and fair, I don't think anybody. Don't? I don't think anybody's flying Dragon Age for being short and anemic as a game. No, the, the problem is that you have your lim- your inventory space is limited unless you buy the downloadable content. And the way that Dragon Age is designed, uh, that limitation becomes a problem because you're accumulating potions and crafting materials and sets of armor for sets that you haven't Wait, completed. Wait, you get, a, you know, you get like a bigger like, backpack if you buy the DLC? No, you get unlimited storage at your camp. Oh, your camp, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas if you don't buy the DLC, you don't get that. Uh, and I don't mean to, I mean, this has been, this issue has sort of been running to the ground already. I don't, we don't necessarily have to get into that, but, but that's a sort of a, a right. new frontier that I'm a little worried about with downloadable content is we're going to sell you this game, but we are going to leave pieces of it out and expect you to buy them. Uh, so what are, the see, question- I, I have no problem with that as long as the business model reflects that that crippled initial gameplay. I actually am all in favor of somebody taking a $60 game and parceling that out to me in $5 chunks because personally, the chances I'm going to get to spending all $60 are pretty minimal, right? That model makes me money. That saves me money. But the pay $60 and then, oh, by the way, you're on the hook for another 30 to sort of get what you really wanted to get out of the game in the first place, that bugs the crap out of me. 
if an expansion or DLC adds something that should have been in the core game, does that make it good or does that make it bad? I would argue that if unlimited space is so important, they're willing to sell it to you. And they made a big deal that they couldn't do this, but now they can sell it. I would argue it is a clearly something useful in the game, something important. And if limited space, if limited access to backpack space is an important game concept, then you keep that. You don't sell a way to get around it. Right, you're subverting gameplay. If something was supposed to be in the game, but it's then added to an expansion pack later... There's no such thing as gameplay anymore. (laughs) It's all revenue. (laughs) No, but I mean, what I'm saying is that... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's like the crass quote of the year. There's no such thing as gameplay. It's all revenue. I want you to explain that, Bruce. Go go ahead, Uh, elaborate. What do you mean by that? I mean, I I don't think... I think that the the ability of people to mod games and to for for designers to patch things and change things around. I think the gameplay. You know, if you say, "Oh, this is you know a core concept," any any core gameplay concept that somebody designs, there there's going to be some huge uh, faction of gamers who think that that should be changed, and so. You know, somebody will mod it, or it'll get changed, or there'll be an expansion which changes everything because you'll have more detail, and so you know your limitation is no longer a limitation because all you have to do is you know micromanage five hundred other things, and then you can get around it. I mean, that's that's why I think I I think the whole uh, the whole uh, issue of downloadable uh, content and expansions and whatever you want to call it, just things that things that show up regularly and change games, has really uh, I, I think it's 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 made games a completely different uh, completely different consumable product than they used to be, um, and you know our, our relationship to those games changes. You don't get the you know it used to be that I'd go to the store and I'd get some game and then I would play it and uh, you know everything that the designer wanted to put in the game that he thought was important was there and. You know, it was more like a board game where you had open the box and you had the components and you played the game and des- decisions that the designer made that sort of governed how the game was going to play were all very important. And you know, the game could be completely broken if uh, you know if it if it uh, if certain you know key decisions uh, weren't implemented properly. And then you know you could try to have House rules, which is, I guess, I guess the the sort of the uh, board game version of a patch. But you know, if the if the game really didn't work out of the box and it was screwed up, then you got to the point with with computer games where you know technical uh, technical problems could be patched later, so that you know crash bugs and whatever graphical glitches and everything like that uh, could get fixed uh, by going to the website and downloading something. So that's where the whole thing of you know whether you reviewed the game. Uh, you know, out of the box or patched version, and there was a whole ridiculous argument about, well, you know, which one should should uh, uh, you know which one should get the real score, et cetera, et cetera. And now, you know, I think that whole the whole thing has been subverted because the game is this is this constantly evolving sort of uh, amorphous uh, thing where design decisions can be changed next week, and the game can look completely different, and the, there doesn't seem to be any downside to doing that because gamers. All they want to do is just consume more, you know, game content. So the, I, I don't really see a downside to that for the for the for the developers. They just keep well. Here's, here's how I would change their decisions. 
Right. Here's how I would put it, Bruce. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying, and I agree with this, is that the, the designers, that a game can be like a, like a, a living product, and it can sort of breathe and change and morph, and the designers can do that, and I'm fine with that. And MMOs are a perfect example of it. Uh, but what, what I'm not fine with is when the people trying to sell the game, trying to make the game make money, mm-hmm. trump the people who have designed the game. And I, I think that's what happens, and, and it's a relatively minor issue. I love Dragon Age, and I don't—I I hate to keep kvetching about this, but I think that's what's happened here: is that the people who are trying to think of new revenue models for Dragon Age, which is a single-player RPG, and they face—you know—it's it, tough for them. They're going to sell a product that you play in 60 hours, and then you're done with, and you never give them any more money. So uh-huh. they're trying to find ways to make this game, single-player game, fit the revenue model that's making other games so successful with microtransactions and downloadable Mm -hmm. content. And I feel that what they came up with trumps these designers who can make living, breathing games that evolve. They're sort of forcing their decisions on the designers. I I think that part of Dragon Age is predicated on on making... Actually, I think that the the not having uh, uh, storage at camp I think they intended that to be there, and at some point they they took it out and made uh, new backpacks of money sink and made the infinite storage part of the downloadable content. So I I think it's a tension between the people trying to make games a commercial product and people just trying to make the games. Uh, I agree with you. I I mean, I I think that's a great analysis. Um, But I guess my point is, you know, there's a reason that this is happening. Uh, and, and the reason is that, you know, publishers are seeing these, you know, successful, uh, you know, multiplayer games with, you know, long revenue tails um, as, as being the, you know, sort of being a standard for, you know, for, 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 for uh, income generation. So right. if you don't do that, then the games have... You know, less likely, and they're, they're less likely to be published in the first place. So, if you have, you know, these single player, I mean, s- single player games are a hard sell because, uh, you know, especially like a single player RPG, like you said, you're going to sell it to somebody and they're going to buy it and they're going to play it and that's it. So, if the alternative is, well, the publisher's not really going to going to invest the game if that, you know, sell it and forget it model. Uh, isn't attractive to them, then if they have to add on some kind of uh, some kind of uh, you know enhancement to, I mean, nobody's forcing you to buy that uh, to uh, to buy the add-on to buy the downloadable content. So I don't, I mean, as, as long as as long as the game is uh, as long as the game is completable without the downloadable content, as long as I guess as long as I know beforehand that going into the game that there's something else available and that I may want to buy it or not, then I can decide whether to buy the game in the first place. Right. And I mean, if, this right. Is, right. if this is, you know, that, you know, onerous to the, to the consumer, then they, it'll fail and then people won't do that anymore. I just, well, let's, to, to get, to get to sort of what Troy was saying. And I think I, cause I do agree with you, Bruce and, and uh, being upfront about it is very important. And I think to their credit, like EA was pretty clear about the wardens keep add on and what you get. Uh, and that, that you're not going to have infinite storage unless you buy it. So I didn't really feel cheated. But I, I think by way of example, you know, Troy, you were talking about what's what makes a good expansion and what makes a bad expansion. Yeah. With this model, I think it's instructive to compare Dragon Age to Fallout 3. 
in Fallout 3, mm. they did the same thing. They, they sold a lot of post-release content, and I, I imagine it helped them greatly. Um, but they never bugged me in the game about the content. Nobody exactly. ever came up to me in exactly. Fallout 3 and said, hey, here's a quest. Oh, you can't do it until you pay for it. Sorry. You know, that, that, that really gets my goat. That, that was just so – that's just cringeworthy. I hated that they do that. And the guy is always sitting there when I go to camp. With that exclamation point over his head. And he'll Fallout never, never leave. Yeah. He'll and never also, leave. And exactly. Right. So, like, sometimes I'm, you know what? I'll give you the seven bucks if you just knock that, that smirking exclamation point off of the top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fallout 3, also, the downloadable content never impacted the core game. Uh, it never limited what I could or couldn't do. Now, if I bought the downloadable content and I went to Mothership Zeta and got this awesome alien ray gun, I could carry it back into the core game, and that was fine. But not going to Mothership Zeta never affected my experience in the Capital Wastelands. Um, so so I, I think that kind of – yeah, so big thumbs up for the way Bethesda did it, and I think they needs to sort of work on how they're modeling this a little better. Yeah, and I think okay. they probably will. I mean, I, I think it, sound, it sounds to me like this is something that a lot of people would get very upset about. And uh, I assume that they're being upset right now as I speak. Upset on the Internet? Impossible. <laughs> so, you know, I'm sure that that'll be, uh, that'll be, um, that'll be addressed. In some, <clears throat> if they decide to, to continue with this, this revenue model, then it'll be... Uh, it'll be... Uh, it, it, it'll be fiddled with, and if not, then next time it comes out, people will be just as upset. So, Well, I'm real curious to see how Command & Conquer 4 works. I mean, especially for the purpose of our discussion. That's the yeah. bona fide strategy game. Uh, you know, how is... Because an RTS, historically, is a complete toy box. Yeah. And you pick the toys you're going to play with, and you assemble your strategy, and that's not what's going on with uh, Command & Conquer 4. So I'll be curious to see how EA handles that. And well, even, right. even Blizzard is uh, kind of... Uh, the ex- the uh, StarCraft is being sold in three parts, with expansions adding on campaigns that would normally be included in the original core game. So, although they would they would argue that you're getting a full gameplay experience with each purchase, and they may be right. I mean, I've gotten ex- I've, quite, ser- I've certainly played good. expansions that have given me you know full gameplay experiences right out of the box, either because they finally made a game good. Uh, and therefore worth it, or because I added something completely new and novel. Uh, but there is something, there's something afoot in the way that uh, these large publishers are doling yeah. out content. What do you, and, what do you and mean I, by should be in the should be in the? Yeah, I, don't, I don't understand that. Should be is it should be is a terrible word, right? Because should yeah. be implies right. that yes. that there's and, some like God-given right yes. to a certain amount of content. And, and and I hate to be a pol- an apologist for people who are taking my money because I don't have that much of it. Uh, but but you know when you look at the actual price of games like since the 1980s, they haven't gone up nearly as much as one would expect. Right. right? They haven't gone up the same level that like m- the price of movie tickets in my hometown have gone up. They've gone went down. Two, yeah, I mean my, movie tickets in my hometown went from two dollars to twelve, right? And and game prices have gone from like forty to sixty in 25 years. No, they've gone I mean, from like seventy to seventy to forty. Only if you were playing really, really deeply geeky games. I remember if, paying like sixty nine ninety nine regularly for games in, in you know uh, from SSI and whatever. 
well, uh, but again, SSI was, but it, but this is another thing is that we now have the sort of base price for games, which applies to every genre, regardless of how much it may sell, right? I mean, the 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 premium price for games is sort of set by GTA and Madden and these monster sellers, which sort of belies the fact that there are all these niches in the market where. You know the the actual net return may be vastly less at that same price point, and and you're right. There used to be a time when people were willingly spending more for niche games that weren't sort of the mainstream hot titles because there was sort of this recognition that you were getting something special that was only for the select few. And I can really only think of the flight sim community as as where that still exists, where people regularly expect to sort of have a, a toll paid when they get into a flight sim. But I want to bring this conversation back on track to uh, expansion packs and strategy gaming in general. I mean, we could talk about business uh, pretty much forever and how the business has changed uh, and how different it is. But is there... I mean, you were asking well, about whether people are selling whether people are selling games, you know, in this new way where, you know, StarCraft... StarCraft 2 has, you know, multiple campaigns that, as you said, and, you know, should be, I guess... Okay, instead of should be, have traditionally been packaged. Right, but I mean, I don't think that that's such, I mean, I don't see why why they should continue to be that way. I mean, I think one of the, I, I was just uh, reminded of uh, how Battlefront um, is is now saying that, you know, whatever, Combat Mission 2... Um, uh, when it comes out, won't have you know when when uh, when when uh, Combat Mission uh, what, whatever it's called um, Barbarossa Berlin had two, I, I can't remember where I read that I had I wish I had uh, it just it just occurred to me now it was somewhere on the on the uh, forums or I think the, their their website where it said that Barbarossa Berlin had too much content uh, so basically they were only able to sell that game and they couldn't uh, you know they they they, they invested so much time. Uh, and developer, you know, uh, there was there, there was so much cost to the game, and then they 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 kind of released too much at once. Right. And I and I think in, in that way, it's possible to say that uh, you know the, the the cost of 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 game development now has become so high, especially for 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 you know titles like uh, like StarCraft Two, that in order to to defray those costs, you have to release games in a different way, which I think is right. is is a reasonable uh, sort of uh, reasonable trade-off for you know, at least presentation quality that you get now. So, I, I mean, I, I just be, just because games had, you know, 10 different campaigns in the uh, in the past doesn't mean that you're always going to get games with that many campaigns. It's just, it's a, it's a different era of, of, of game publishing. And the funny thing is, Troy, you asked us uh, one of the things that we should talk about and that I'd still love to hear about are, are what games do we feel should have uh, some downloadable content or some expansions that didn't get them. Yes. So I was looking oh, I through my shelves, uh, uh, like recent games, and I was surprised. I never would have guessed this. Almost invariably, every single recent game that I've been into has some kind of downloadable content available. I mean, I, yeah. I was having a hard time finding games that didn't have it. Now, if we go back far enough, yeah, I, I've got plenty of ideas. But the games that I've been enjoying in the last two years, I couldn't find very many that didn't have some sort of DLC yeah. available. It's it's everywhere, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm cool with that. I, but it's remarkable just how quickly it's like ducks to water. It's this new revenue model, and everyone's gotten into it. Um, now, before we do uh, like games that should have DLC or, or sequels. Can we go around and would you guys be able to pick out your favorite 
either expansion pack or, or, or instance of something being added to a game after its release. Okay. Why don't you go first, Tom? Favorite expansion? Okay. So my favorite would be a game that I didn't, I, and I'm Strategy pretty game. sure I've talked about this before, yeah. uh, uh, would be a game I didn't care for when it first came out. And finally, a lot of the problems that I had with it got addressed in an expansion pack, and that's the Asian Dynasties expansion for Age of Empires 3. Uh, you know, uh, Ensemble had, had patched up some things very nicely, uh, and they added in some cool factions with the first expansion. But Asian Dynasties fixed so many interface problems that I personally had with the game and added all kinds of new wacky gameplay twists with the new factions. So I'd have to pick that as, as sort of my favorite instance. Julian, you have a favorite? Oh, it's it's hard. I mean, can we talk about can we talk about uh, things like World of Warcraft, or is that just going to get me sure? Go ahead. I'm not going to fire you for that. I, I, but the stuff that they added in Burning Crusade still, I think, is some of the best content that they've ever done, and 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 that really that to me made the game like it it, it made it like okay, this thing is going to last forever now because they've they've really up the ante they've added new content they've changed gameplay systems and they're keeping it something that's going to live forever so i would have to say that but then i would actually i would go back to beyond the sword because as much as i loved civ 4 you can't pick two you're picking two i am picking two (laughs) god damn it i am picking two that's the kind of guy i am i'm willing i'm I'm, i deserve to i deserve to he's got many weeks Uh, of work to make up for exactly but i would say that beyond the sword uh, it took me from being sort of an appreciator of Civ 4 to an addict. I mean, I played way more Civ 4 after Beyond the Sword than I ever played before. Bruce, you have a favorite? Um, well, no. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> yeah, Just take I, I one of the... take You can take one of Julian's, because he has two. Yeah, he had extra ones. Um, I, I think the uh, I think the only thing I can think of is that uh, wasn't there a, like a like a this is more of like downloadable content wasn't there like a remake of Jagged Alliance two with some kind of like total like re restructuring of the game I remember down I remember downloading some Jagged Alliance two thing Are you thinking and, of the Nintendo DS version that came yes. out Yeah yeah <laughs> probably no, the Wii version. <laughs> there actually is a, a Nintendo DS Jagged Alliance. I did not. Is there really? There really is. Yeah, yeah. that is quite <laughs> remarkable. Uh, but I think Bruce, I think I think you're right, Bruce. I mean, wasn't there? I'm hazy on this too, but it was either like a super hard mode or, uh, uh, yeah, so, yeah. Okay. I think wild was it called Wildfire? Mm, it was so okay. long. I can't remember. I'll buy that. But Troy, anyway, what would you pick? Some, I would somebody on probably pick uh, Thrones and, and Patriots from Rise of Nations. Mm-hmm. Ooh, uh, good one, good one. I mean, it's us go between that and, and Nominate for Europa and 3, but the thing about Thrones and Patriots is it added some new civilizations, which like the Asian Dynasty civs uh, in uh, Age of Empires 3, just completely changed the game, uh, broke it in many ways, uh, very remarkably bizarre uh, nations, like the Americans with their very, very cheap infantry, the Iroquois who could run through forests, which are impassable, the Sioux who had stealth, or maybe the other way around, just some really, just four new saves that completely changed the balance of the game altogether. But most importantly, it was uh, all the different campaigns they added to that. The Rise of Nations had the great 
conquer the world map, but uh, Thrones and Patriots did a better job of integrating the skirmish with historical maps and different mission conditions. I thought it was a great expansion that added to the game and took it in very new directions. Uh, without They also did a the gameplay. They, they did a cool thing with the government system, too, is yeah. that at various periods when you would age up, you would pick one of two yeah. governments, and one of them tended to be the aggressive military choice and the other was the commercial choice. So you were basically having to announce, and your government form was always, uh, everyone got a message yeah. when you chose a government. So you basically had to announce to the other players whether you were going military or economic at, at, at certain points in the game. I loved that idea. Yeah, I was... Well, that's- all that stuff was historical, right? It was actually historically accurate. So it's really just a patch that they charged for. Because <laughs> when the that's right, when the French Revolution and when they had it, they had to announce it. They couldn't very yeah. well just sort of right. keep yeah. that under their hats. They keep that secret. Yeah, no, it didn't really work that way. So, okay, <laughs> well, good. So yeah, I would say Thrones and Patriots. So let's move on to so add expansions, expansions that so yeah, expansions that and and this I feel because I, I really loved this expansion, but I feel this expansion included something that absolutely violated the a core design tenant of the original game, and that is Civilization IV Beyond the Sword. Uh, and it's, the espionage, I think, is such a misreading of what makes civilization good. Because civilization is normally, uh, it's very granular, and that you get this many pieces of food from this square, and they go into this silo, and when the silo hits 20, you get a new pop point. Uh, but there was so much stuff with espionage where you're like... A, accruing 10,472 points in order to do this weird action, which gives you very little feedback about you know why it's going to work or not work, and you had to manage all the spies, and uh, it, 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 it was just this weird sort of money sink, almost, that they latched onto the side of the game, and I just felt it was very inelegant, and it just felt, clearly it was someone, you know, Soren Johnson had left at that point. Right. Uh, clearly it was some something made by someone who didn't really grok what Soren was getting at with the streamlining and the elegance of, of Civ Four as a core game. I love a lot of stuff in Beyond the Sword, but God, that espionage has just been a thorn in my side. And you can, yeah, yeah, I, I can don't sort disagree. of switch. I, I, I don't disagree. And you can sort of switch it off, but there's still that that junk is like spaghetti in through the the game design. You know the way the wonders work and the text, and so I just feel like that was just a, a huge misstep. Uh, and that so that I think is an example of a really bad add something that an add on does that's really bad. Good. Uh, okay, who's next? I would like to right. say uh, Sims Two Nightlife. Ah. Oh God! Sims Two Nightlight. Never even occurred to me to get it, much less install it. And here and it was, it was very, it was very popular, and it added some really good things to the game. You know, it added places to go on dates. It added, you know, all this. It was thick. Was the first one it added this this really huge new place for your Sims to go, uh, which was all great and interesting content. But what it also did was it completely changed the relationship meter into this cheesy pickup artist uh, <laughs> type relationship. <laughs> Where you have to find out what they like, what they don't like, and you're always fighting the clock, and how tired are you getting? And I think that in many ways broke uh, my opinion, the my impressions I had of my characters and the relationships I was developing because they had, they wanted to go on dates, had to take them someplace, and I have to learn their sign, and everyone knows astrology is bullshit. And uh, I would say Sims Two, I would say Sims Two Nightlife was with a bad expansion. You know what else, by the way, just a real quick aside, uh, another problem that Nightlife had is it was following on the heels of Sims 2 University, which yes. is a great expansion pack. Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I might 
I might consider changing my vote. Uh, but yeah, the, like nightlife, just as a follow-up to university, was just terrible. Why don't you expand on why, what made university so special? Because I think you're so right. university. So here's an interesting way to do an expansion. Uh, you have life stages, and your Sims start out as children, then they become young adults, then adults, then I guess seniors or whatever. So what university did was it sandwiched into the game a whole new life stage, and that new life stage, you know, your, your Sims university years was like a, an entirely separate game and it had you know it, it, it fit that sims model uh you know the, all the gameplay conventions where you live in a dorm uh you have to learn your skills uh you know you were doing homework uh you, instead of going to work you went off to class uh and it just built this whole new stage of gameplay it just sandwiched it right into there uh for each of your sims and when you were done all of these additional benefits and relationships and whatnot, you could then carry on into the core game. Yeah. Uh, so it's sort of like, let's make a new pocket of gameplay. Uh, Which you didn't have to use. And you didn't have to use this stuff in nightlife, but it was kind of always in your face. Right. Yeah. So, good. Julian, do you have a bad one? I got, I got, I got nothing. I got nothing. Because you, you like I'm all downloadable my content? Brains and I got nothing. Oh, Julian, I got a hint for you. Pick the pick Warden's Keep for, uh, for Dragon Age. No one's picked it I haven't yet. played it. I didn't buy it. But you can say it's bad. You can, like, pick that as a bad one. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> okay. He's not going to sell it as credibility. Deny, it's all, deny, deny. It's all he's got left. Uh, Bruce, can you think of any bad ones? Uh, Tales of the Sword Coast. Tales of the Sword Coast. Uh, that's uh, from Baldur's Gate 1. You want to explain why? Yeah, because it totally changed the story. I mean, the story was the story, and then it made this, like, alternate story that didn't really happen. So it got me very pissed off. Now, is that a follow-up? Like, do you finish Baldur's Gate, and then you buy Tales of the Sword Coast, and it adds new stuff to the end of the story? Well, yes, but then you have to play through the whole freaking game. No, That's wait, not- wait. So if you've finished Baldur's Gate, there's nothing you can do with, uh, like, you can't take your party into Tales of the Sword Coast mm-hmm. or whatever? Something, I don't know, there was something at the end. They had to change the story, though. I can't remember. It was so long ago. Don't hold me to these okay. Revisionist history, you're saying. You, you don't agree yeah. with the revisionist history. Okay. I agree with it. There we go. Good. Okay, now the big one. Uh, games that should have gotten expansions, but for some reason did not. And as Tom mentioned earlier, it seems like everybody, every game gets an expansion. I have so many crappy games on my shelf that got expansion packs. And I used to think, you know, I have to sell something to get an expansion, but I guess not. Um uh, so how about so like the moment you sell it, they announce a cool expansion? Yeah, it, it seems that way. It's like because we we got them now, got them where we want them. If they're reading this post; they already bought our game. Might as well sell them an expansion pack. Uh, but games that did not get expansions uh, that deserved them. Tom, uh, I just end up like listing for this listing all my favorite games from the time before downloadable content. <laughs> so, so I just have okay, in in the era of ex- era of expansions at least. So here's one that I was disappointed they didn't do anything more with. I, I would have gladly shelled out some micro bucks uh, for new content for Dead Rising, mm-hmm. uh, that Xbox zombie killing game. Uh, A second so. mall, perhaps. Second mall, or you know what? I'm I like that game so much that I just throw in new weapons, and I you know I'd pay for them. I bought uh, what did I buy? I bought a silenced shotgun for Far Cry Two, which, as far as I can, did bupkis. You know, it just made a different sound and it looked cool. Uh, so games that I like, I am willing to pay for meaningless junk. 
And I, I probably shouldn't announce that because now companies might take advantage of it. So don't let that get out. And and, and one such game, Dead Rising, I, I would buy for, you know what, just give uh, Frank West a new hat or something. I'd buy it. So there you go. Yeah, we shouldn't tell people that. That's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah don't let that get out. You're so sad. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Julian? I, you know, I honestly, this is going to sound totally lame, but I lament the death of the Flight Sim franchise because they never really got a chance to do what they should have done. The last, I mean, before they killed off Microsoft Flight Simulator, they released Flight Sim 10, they released sort of a lame patch version called Accelerate, and and I know those guys, and I know that they had a million ideas, and they never got any budget or any you know any time to work on anything. Right. So of of all the games that I sort of lament the loss of the expansion, that would be it. Because because that that whole community has been just gut shot by that. That's a weird. Uh, that that's worth discussing too, Julian. Because I I wonder how much of that for the flight sim series. There were all of these like paid third-party add-ons you could buy. Oh God, millions! And if I Microsoft had more carefully more. controlled yeah. that content, you know, would we still have the flight sim franchise? Like, I wonder how yeah, much. Yeah, I don't that, know. I mean, they had that sort of love-hate. Rela- they had a love-hate relationship with their developer or the external developer community because you know, I, for the sixty dollars that I spent on on you know flight sim, you know, century of flight, I probably spent three hundred on add-on content. None of it to Microsoft. So yeah, they probably had a strategy which really let them release, you know, higher res terrain and better airplanes and more high detailed airports mm-hmm. and things like that. And they never really did. And and that sort of it just makes me sad because now there's this gaping hole in the gaming universe left behind. That's kind of sad. It is kind of sad. Well, I'm going to go big huge games again and say Rise of Legends should have gotten an extension pack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a sequel. Yeah, and downloadable content and new factions. At Rise of Legends, I think that was a, that was an interesting world, a great game. I think there were more stories to tell there. Um, I think they had so many places they could have gone with an expansion, and that they didn't, uh, I think, is one of the great losses uh, in strategy gaming. Well, I got one for you. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah, I was afraid you were going to skip skip Bruce for a minute. I almost was, but let's. Oh, you're. Terrible. Bruce, what do you got for us? I think the one game that should have gotten expansion is Odium. (laughs) God. (laughs) Odium? Uh Who made that? Because they were a good developer, weren't they? Who were those guys? Uh, There's something something relevant about Odium. The question is, what's not relevant about Odium? (laughs) Did you want to explain Odium to our uh, intelligent, maybe uninformed audience? It was a strategy game where you had to, like, fight monsters. And uh, they were like aliens and stuff. And it was was totally crazy. And it was great. So that's my description. (laughs) So Odium was actually made by... It was published by Monolith. uh, The developers, I don't don't know who they are. Uh, And it was called called Gorky 17. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was in Europe, though. In its native Poland. So Polish developer... Oh, there you go. That's perfect. Yeah. And, oh, they they've done. It looks like. Mm, I can't really tell. I, I was uh, I was googling, but it looks like they've somehow been channeled into the the guys that do like Witcher and, and those things. Oh, that's a good. Yeah, they probably I should probably get an expansion too. But um, 
no, that was great because uh, it was well. I have a lot of things that that I liked about that game, but um, uh, one of the things that it just ended too quickly. So I, I would love to have an expansion that would make it longer. Yeah, it was like an XCOM-y kind of thing. Yeah, and then it had really cool things like you know rifles could shoot diagonally, but you know um, pistols could only shoot kind of straight. I mean, it just had all sorts of, and then they used the maps that took advantage of those different sort of. Uh, you know, very artificial constructs. It was really, actually, I thought, really well designed. Now, the story I don't was know totally ridiculous. You may not know this, Bruce, but mm-hmm. uh, in 2003, there was a sequel. And in 2005, there was a sequel to the sequel. No, you're lying. I don't think they came to North America, but I'm, I'm seeing here uh, in my the the in, in my brain, I can remember. I'm now I'm not reading this offline or anything, but uh, Gorky Zero Beyond Honor came out in 2003. And mm. Gorky 2, Aurora Watching, Whoa. published in 2005. All three games in the Gorky series feature Cole Sullivan. Who's the main character? Cole Sullivan, duh, he's huh. the main character. Oh, that guy, right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, so let's see, the, the first sequel is a third person, it's a stealth game. Oh, they add a bunch of stealth stuff. Huh. Yeah. So there you go. So yeah. you know. I have never even heard of Odium. That was voiced by Colin Farrell, yeah, I think. Me neither. Uh, Will Ferrell. <laughs> because Will Ferrell that voiced that. Wow. There you go. Good stuff. Cool. Well, I gotta go buy those then. I wonder if I can get them. I hope so. And then, uh, then you can uh, write about them. I can find out exactly what actually happened in those times. That's why we play games, oh. so we can learn about history. All about mm-hmm. historical accuracy. That's I why agree. I love you so much. Those who don't learn from history are forced to reload from an earlier save. Uh, All right. good, Troy. I like that. Have you used that before? I don't are think we the so. First ones? That, one? that is good. All I right. quite like steal that. Hold on. Let me write that down. While, while you're signing off, I'm going to write that down. Uh, before I sign off, I do want to remind our listeners that in two weeks' time, we will be having our listener uh question and answer session. So if you have any questions you want to ask the panel about strategy games, uh, any things you want to take us to task for, please send us an email. And I neglected to give the email address last week. It is troy.goodfellow at gmail.com. Uh, just put in the subject header, uh, question for three moves ahead or something to that effect. And we will try to address as many questions as we can. Once again, that is for the show for the week of uh, November the 22nd, uh, the show. So I have to have your question uh, by the evening of November 22nd. Hopefully we can get some more questions in, so I have a lot to choose from to uh, tickle the brains of whomever decides to show up that day. Excellent. <laughs> uh, I'd also like to tell our regular readers of Flash of Steel that, yes, uh, the Decade series is continuing. We're just uh, in a bit of a downtime right now because of deadlines and other pressures, but the Decade series will continue, hopefully in earnest, uh, this week. So stop sending me your nagging emails about that, and instead send emails about questions for the panel. Uh, any final words or questions or concerns? I got nothing. Humbug. I hope, Bruce, you have some music queued up for us. That's all I got to say. Uh, I... No, what can I say? I, I don't, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm using the equivalent of, uh, 2009 equivalent of stone knives and bear skins. <laughs> if anyone gets that, go there. Thanks. <laughs> All right, uh, say goodnight, everyone. Good night, everyone. See ya. You're so crazy. 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 You're so crazy.